Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. Are we ready to praise the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. I just uh, want to thank those that helped me make dinner. Deb, she uh, that dinner was incredible. I don't know about you, but I am ready to take a nap. That usually means the dinner was really good. <laughs> so praise God for that. I really enjoyed that. Um, just want to remind you that if you haven't signed up for our Christmas party, please, if you can help us with some sort of food item or soda or chips, the sign-up list is in there. Uh, sign up, bring something, come have some fun. Um, we got some things going on, so amen? Amen. Um, other than that, I don't think I have anything else right now. I'll go ahead and... Uh, Open up the word and, and uh, read you a scripture and we'll pray and we'll get some praise and worship. Amen? Amen? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love that Isaiah has names for our Savior. There are many more that we can say. And I just want us to be reminded this week that as we remember the reason for the season and we celebrate the birth of our Savior, that we remember the many names that he has in our lives. And don't forget that. Remember his names. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Would you stand and we'll pray and then we'll get some praise and worship. Heavenly Father, we just love you so much. And we just want to praise and honor you tonight and thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice and for your salvation and for just what you're doing in our lives. Lord, tonight as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Lord, as we come together and enjoy this great meal, and Lord, we get ready to, to sing some, some wonderful praise songs. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, that you would just uh, continue to, to use us and, Lord, strengthen us. And Lord, bless the worship team as they prepare to bring us into that sweet place of praise. Lord, I pray for the message tonight, Lord, that you would put your hand on our brother Seku and bring the message bold and strong. And Lord, just allow us to, to be ready to hear what it is you have in store for us. Lord, as we prepare to go into this week, Lord, I pray that you would just give us traveling grace for those that are traveling. And Lord, uh, also give us the, uh, the ability to be reminded, Lord, that, that you are the reason for the season. We love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stay standing. <laughs>
give the Lord praise tonight? You know, it's really kind of funny um, how the world looks at Christmas. I remember several years ago, I was watching the Christmas parade, and the local church had their float that came through. And, you know, this is a small town, and everybody sees the baby Jesus and the angels all around and praising God and everything else. And as the float would pass by the crowd, the, the, the demeanor of the crowd would change from <clears throat> cheering and whistling and clapping to gasps and moans. And when the float passed, uh, went past me, um, I saw why. Because on the back side of that manger scene was the scene of the crucifixion. And too many people don't realize how bittersweet of a moment this is. We celebrate the coming king, but the reasons that he came yeah. were mixed reasons. Mm -hmm. It was for his great love, but it was also to be an atonement. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I so tonight, even though we're singing Christmas carols and we're having a lot of fun, lift up that joy to the Lord because He is the source of that. Amen. It's because of that great love. Yeah. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you do for us, Lord. Thank you for this time you've given us to come together, Lord, and lift our voices to you, Lord. Heavenly Father, lift up the service tonight and the prayer, Lord, that it all go according to your will. Again, I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good evening, brothers and sisters. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. I got to go shopping today. I should say I got to. I had to go shopping. And uh, I, I don't think I, it's been a long time since I've had to wait to get into a parking lot <laughs> because it's been so full. We are so blessed in this nation, and yet sometimes we forget to give our praise to the one who watches over us. Uh, that song, that song that we, and the scripture that we had, the scripture from Isaiah, um, and the song Emmanuel, right? God with us. And there's a scripture in Joshua that I want to read. It's Joshua 1, 8 and 9. And it's a reminder of just exactly who it is that we have to do. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. We can hear a lot of Merry Christmases and Happy New Year's and all that other stuff. And we can hear, don't worry, don't fret, everything's going to be all right. Put on the Walmart smile and everything's going to be great. We can salve our, our temporary needs with shopping or stuff. But the reason we can be strong and courageous is none of those things. It's because Emmanuel... God is with us. And we pray to him because he is the one that satisfies our soul. He is the one that brings us blessings every day. When he says you will have success, somehow I don't think he's talking about the kind of success that this country chooses to portray. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, we get a little clue as to what that success is. It's in Revelation 21. 
in 6 through 8. It says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water without end. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We have something to be grateful for. We have a Savior. We have God with us who has freed us from the, from the slave market of sin that we are in bondage to. Amen? And we can thank him at this time of year because we celebrate his birth. But we can celebrate every day because he is doing a work to sanctify us and to bring us into his presence. He gives us a hope for eternal life. And we walk with him day by day. Amen? And it's who we pray to. Let's, let's go to him with a spirit of prayer and a spirit of hope and a spirit of humility. Amen? Our God, we just come before you and we, we seek your face. Renew us and remind us, Father, of the work that you have done. Help us to stand strong and courageous in the face of constant onset of, the sa- of Satan's arrows, of his discouragement, of his trying to knock us down. Father, we, we pray that as we endure sickness, as we endure trials, that you would constantly remind us, Father, of your faithfulness, of your presence with us, in each and every moment. Father, we thank you for this season of the year when the world, the entire world, even though they're under the control of Satan, your enemy, you have made a way to have your message proclaimed. You have shown us, Father, that you have overcome, that you came to bring life and life more abundantly. Help us as we, as we walk through this valley that we would be a testimony of your grace and your mercy. Help us to share with our families. Help us to share with our brothers. Help us to come alongside those who are struggling, Father, and minister to them, to uphold them. Help us, God, to be an example of those who are broken but overcoming to give you glory and give you praise with our every breath. Father, we pray for those who are not with us tonight. We ask that you would bless them where they're at. We ask for our brothers who are struggling, Lord God, that you would strengthen them for sisters who are going through many 
heartaches and trials, Lord, we just ask that you would be right there, that you would send along a note of encouragement, a, a voice of cheer, a heart of compassion to show them that they too, Father, are loved and that you are with them. Father, we pray for Seku as he comes and brings you his message, that it would be your words, Father, that impact our hearts and that it would renew our minds and that we'd be challenged again to walk with you and to seek your face and to live every moment in your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Praise the Lord. I have uh, been pondering this week and reminded that this time last year I was still in Sweden getting ready to eat Swedish menudo and Swedish tamales and maybe even some Swedish burritos. Uh, I'm reminded this year how wonderful the food is here. You know, the wonderful lasagna we just ate and the wonderful garlic knots that I haven't made in over 12 years. I got to make tonight and they were, they were wonderful. Just reminded of how great God is and just uh, and reminded that we need to be reminded and just uh, remember that this week. Just keep remembering that. I, I, you're going to hear me say that a lot. Remember the reason for the season. So we can't can't live without him, right? He's our everything. Praise God. Amen. All right, now is the time where we get to invite our brother Seku to come break the bread of life and to, to give us a message. So before I go, I have a question for you. What do you get when you cross a bear and a skunk? Winnie the P.U. <laughs> I think I realized oftentimes now I don't even turn the microphone on just so that if he does say that you don't hear me go, oh my God. <laughs> Although Winnie the PU, I, I, I have to remember that one. <laughs> um, two more Saturdays left before the end of the year. And this Saturday just happens to be the Saturday before Christmas on Monday. And um, uh, last year, last year, today, actually, somebody called me and basically kind of felt bad because they heard what I said last week about Christmas and the Christmases that I go through. And they felt bad for me. And I says, you know, I... My sentiment is not to bash Christmas. My communication was really about how I had come to experience Christmas in my own personal journey and not to take anything from anybody, but just to let people know that I, for whatever hangups that I may have about Christmas, not the birth of Christ, but the traditions and the capitalism and uh, the, all the weirdness is because of my experience with it. And there are a lot of other people that have gone through the same thing. But one thing that I am thankful for, this fall and this winter has been different 
than many falls and winters before. Um, with the exception of getting fired, that was kind of a rude awakening, but um, with the exception of that, the ability to actually have time to say, wow, every fall and winter I go into this and that's all I'm going to call it. And usually I would work and do all these things to just push through it. And this fall and winter, it was like, no, I got to sit here and address it. But in addressing it to say, okay, something's going on. What is it? And in this year in battling that, this Thanksgiving was probably one of the better Thanksgivings that I could have in remembrance. Just to spend time with a bunch of ruffians. Um, what's the word in Spanish? R Rufians. Um, you know, it's just to hang out, just to eat in the backyard and, and just, just hang out. You know, I, I started to bring the turntables and it was like, well, number one, no. Number two, just enjoy the fellowship. And I did. And it was one of the more memorable Thanksgivings that I've had. And now instead of dreading Christmas and the solitude and all of that, I'm actually looking forward to Monday. I, I do plan on bringing a fire extinguisher, um, but I'm looking forward to Monday. I'm even looking forward to tomorrow. Well, that's going to be interesting. So fellowship is a big part of that because we can let the world take over its idea of Christmas and part of that, the absence of family, the capitalism, the going into debt, the somebody mentioned presents going half price on the day after Christmas that you just bought a few days before, sitting in the parking lot trying to find a spot. Um, all that aside, fellowship reminds each and every one of us of who we are and who has us. And to be around that. And not to be phony about it, to recognize, you know what, yeah, I'm not feeling great, I'm not all that happy about the circumstances, but I'm definitely happy about the company. And I'm joyful about where I am. Because we often need a reminder that you may not have gotten the Optimus Prime toy that you really wanted, or still want, 30 years later. But <laughs> you have life and life more abundantly because of Jesus Christ. You have a family in this church and in Eagle's Nest and even in some of the people who have left that are far better, more realistic, and more of a family than some of the family that you left behind. And so I thank God for that. I'm actually encouraged to uh, not get through December, but to see what God has in store. So I want to encourage you all, just remind each and every one. Don't, don't think, well, I'm going through this by myself. Get with somebody. Call somebody. No, no platitudes. Just be real. Jimmy calls me sometimes, and he hasn't called me in a while, but Jimmy calls me sometimes. I know. My, I know. And um, he's just like, hey, how are you doing? The, the day that he sent me, um, he sent me, I, I'm, I'm telling on you, he sent me a text uh, and it was in, in, along the lines of some people think that pastors have it all together and he knows otherwise. And he's not saying that I'm bad. It's just 
he wanted to let me know that I'm not by myself. That, hey, I want to check on you and see how you're doing. You'd be surprised at how much that makes a difference in people's lives. You'd be surprised. And don't think because of your background, your past, your ability to speak, whatever the case may be, is a disqualifier from you being an exhortation to somebody else or an edification to somebody else. Because last time I checked, we're celebrating Christ who was born in a manger, living in the hood, despised and rejected by his own people and the occupiers, and yet herein is the love of God made manifest that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. How much more can we do to share that with others? Do you have your Bible? Turn to Philippians chapter 2, a very unchristmas passage of Scripture, um, at least in first estimation. But Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be reading 5 through 13. And you're going to see that this actually is a very big part of Christmas and so much more. I like what um, Kevin said. It was kind of distracting, but it was a very good point about the fact that many people celebrate Jesus, little baby Jesus. He's kind of non-threatening that way. Um, Watching Ricky Bobby and watching them... (laughs) Watching them do the prayer and it's like little baby Jesus in a manger with your little socks on and all that. It's just like, really? Baby Jesus is not threatening. Jesus on a cross disturbs you. But Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, either A, for Christians, brings confidence, or B, for sinners who realize it, brings them to a point where they have to make a decision. Because this is no longer a game and Jesus is far more of a threat than most people realize if you choose to remain in sin. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Let's stand in honor of reading God's word. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of, the cro- point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God, has also, therefore also God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for gathering all of us together in this season. Let us, Lord, keep you first and foremost on our minds. And we thank you for your birth. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you are seated at the throne 
And Father, we pray that the name of Jesus is not something that we take lightly, but continue to lift up above every situation, above everything that presents itself towards us, that we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives and in our situations as we lift him up, that we draw men unto you. We pray that your word resonates within us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There are three parts of this verse that we read um, that are very important. Verses 6 through 8 talk about the humility of Christ. But before we even get to 6 through 8, it really starts off with, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So it's explaining who Jesus is and what he went through, but it is telling each and every one of us to have the same mindset. So before you think this is just Jesus, and this is all him, and this really doesn't pertain to us, in all actuality it says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So verses 6 through 8, he had a mindset of humility in his walk. A mindset of humility in his walk. First and foremost, Jesus came not only to be a sacrifice, but to be a relatable sacrifice. It'd be different if, um, like modern day farming, how many of you relate to the hamburger you ate? Not a one. Why? Because we didn't see the cow, we didn't go through the process, we, we really have faint knowledge, most of us, some of us have first-hand knowledge of what actually happens to the cow, but even in the slaughterhouse, you didn't name the cow, you didn't milk the cow, you didn't grow up with the cow, you are very unrelated, and that's kind of where we are in the United States. We're unrelated to the food that we eat. Now, recently I got some eggs from chickens that uh, is in somebody's yard, but ultimately when I go to Walmart, fries, whatever, and buy, chick buy eggs, I don't know where these eggs came from. And so to me, they're just eggs, or just chicken, or just beef, or pig, or boiled Ostrich, not ostrich, boiled octopus. I don't know who decided to bring that Monday. Please don't. But we're not related to what we're eating. Therefore, it really doesn't weigh on our minds when we pick up that package of ground beef of what had to give its life for each and every one of us. But Jesus didn't just show up and say, Father, here I am. Go ahead and let me be the sacrifice. And it's a process that we were only partial to there are people who walked with him there are people who lived with him there are people who nursed him there are people who heard in a dream that you should flee and therefore we need to leave being joseph and all of them had an experience with jesus christ Many witnesses have written about Jesus, walked with Jesus, understood who he was to a certain extent. So by the time he went to the cross, it wasn't a nobody. It was a son. It was a brother. It was a friend. It was a rabbi. It was a man. There is a man who came and helped Jesus with his cross going towards his execution. He didn't have any prior knowledge of Jesus, but he recognized him as a man. There is a relatability on some level of Jesus Christ coming to sacrifice himself for each and every one of us. And there's a reason for that. His walk demonstrates 
that he goes through what we went through. His life demonstrates that while he came, God in the flesh thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but decided to walk as a man so that each and every one of us could relate to who he is. It wasn't some third party. He walked like we walk. And in his walk, he demonstrated the grace of God. I always wondered about John, not John, but John, the, uh, the writer, because it seems to me like in John's gospel, more so than the other three, Jesus seems to make a real distinction between himself and the Father. And that used to always kind of bug me because we talk about God in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, but the word was in the beginning with God and the word was God. He had every right to say God is among you, Emmanuel. But what he did, and if you go back and read it, is my father is greater than I. Why callest thou me good? There is only one good, that is the father. There seemed to be this separation, at least as I interpreted it. But then when I started, you know, actually asking questions and praying, Lord, show me about this. What is going on? Because it seems to be, why would you separate yourself from the father? And it's not that he's separating himself from the father. It's that he's making a distinction so he can draw closer to you. Because if he came in and said, well, I am God in the flesh, there is no relatability to that whatsoever. So as he walks, the only way we can even so much as think about walking like that is by the grace of God. But it's not a concept that we think is attainable. But by him saying, I came as a man, even though I am God in the flesh, but I am not walking as God. I am walking as man, even though I am God. Now, all of a sudden, we can start to relate a little bit better. In a sense, can I speak in a vernacular? Jesus is like, I'm walking just like you are. I'm eating just like you are. I'm cold just like you are. I'm hungry just like you are. I'm riding a donkey just like you are. I'm on a cross, and it hurts just like it would if you would be here. I feel anguish just like you do. I feel anger, just like you do. I feel joy, just like you do. I feel frustration, just like you do. So that he can show each and every one of us that he's not distant, but he is relatable. But in his walk, instead of saying, I am God and I can do what I want to do, he says, I can only do as I see my father do. Instead of ministering under his own power, he went into the wilderness and was tested and then came and went into the next city, witnessing, preaching, and serving in the power of the Holy Spirit. A function of grace. It gives each and every one of us the idea that as we strive to walk as he did, then we can walk in the same spirit that he walked in because he gave it to us. This is the humility. He could come in and say, I'm king, and overturn the whole thing. But he came in the form of a man and surrendered himself even to the death of the cross, which at that time was the most heinous, most disrespectful, most grueling form of public execution that they had at the time. And then we go to verses 9 through 11. 
Therefore, because of him humbling himself, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does that leave anything out? Does that leave anyone out? So because he humbled himself and was obedient, now as he's on the other side of the cross, this Jesus is something to reckon with that at some point, whether you are a Christian or you choose to remain in sin, you are still going to bow at the name of Jesus. Whether you say, you know what, Lord, I believe you are Lord, that's great. But if you try to hold on to your lifestyle, and I'm not just talking to people in here, but whoever happens to listen to this and say, oh, no, I got time or, oh, no, you know what, I don't think it's that serious. Let me tell you that at some point, everybody's going to bow to Jesus. Everybody. And so here is a name that is above all names. Name something. Jesus is above it. Name a person. Name that person that's bothering you. Name that person that you can't stand. Jesus is above it. Name that issue that you can't seem to get away from. Jesus is above it. Name what you think is the wrongest, thank you, Kevin, wrongest thing in your life. My English. Jesus is above that. <laughs> And above my English teacher, because he needs help too. <laughs> and just like before the cross, he demonstrated grace. On the other side of the cross, now he's demonstrating the glory of God. Because even, <laughs> even people who don't know still get uncomfortable when you mention Jesus. They may not know what it is or what it's about, but you start bringing up Jesus in a conversation, people start to get real uncomfortable. Because while they may not want to acknowledge it openly, there is still something about that name that makes them uncomfortable because it keeps putting before them a decision. You're either going to die in your sin or you're going to choose to believe that I died for you and rose so that you could have eternal life. And most people don't want to face that decision. Before the cross, he demonstrated grace. After the cross, he demonstrated glory. Jesus, our risen Lord. But let me remind you of something else. Anthony's favorite book, Revelation chapter 19. This is another form of Jesus that should have people concerned. Verse 11 in Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a white, uh, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you think 
that Jesus is a concept that you can do away with and deal with later. At some point, the lamb becomes a lion. And at some point, the one who went to the cross in humility is coming back to judge in exaltation. And he's coming back with an army. You say, well, what about this army? A little bit before this, it talks about those that are with him are called chosen and faithful. He never speaks of that of the angels. And while there are angels that are encompassing him, it never speaks of the angels as called chosen and faithful. As a matter of fact, that's a, a, a formula that goes back to the gospels. Many are called, but few are chosen. And then it goes into called chosen and faithful. These are saints that are with him. These are armies. You wonder why God is toughening you up down here? I used to hate the hood in some portions because I was a skinnier kid. I was raised in certain parts. And you know what they do to skinny kids in the hood? We're going to teach you to fight. We used to do this thing called slap boxing. I would rather box. You don't make a fist. You're just, you know. But the minute somebody gets you with a good right cross, it's not against your jaw going, okay, good hit. It's at that point, you're ready to fight. <laughs> but the problem is, is that the bigger ones are the ones teaching you. So you go fight at them because you're mad. Next thing you know, they're whooping you up and it's all bad. But what they're doing is they're trying to toughen you up. So that when you stand with everybody else, you stand as a soldier. What Jesus Christ is doing in our life with a lot of the hardships and a lot of the tests that we go through is not so that we can face a problem and go, oh, I survived it. It is because he is creating and making and strengthening soldiers. And just like sheep follow the shepherd, these soldiers will now follow the Savior. See, there is a humility point in our lives as well. But there is also a point when we walk with him and he says, now, come sit over here. Now, come and do this, that, and the other because we have been humbled before him. And when we stand, we stand as soldiers. Somebody asked me the question about how to resist the devil. And they're like, and I'm not making fun of them, but a lot of us struggle with that because it feels like we're often resisting the devil. But it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then Ephesians, the sixth chapter, goes into all this. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. It talks a lot about fighting. You think that's just for this life? You say, well, so-and-so really gets on my nerves. Well, if you stand in the authority, sometimes he's trying to get you to stand as a soldier instead of going back and say, Lord, take care of this problem. And oftentimes he says, well, why don't you stand in the authority that I gave you? Why don't you exercise the exousia in my name? Why don't you walk in the dunamis that the Holy Spirit gives you? Dunamis is another form of power. Because the training that we get here is strengthening us for soldiers to follow the Savior when he calls. It says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And we think it's all about suffering. It's about training. It's about developing. It's about making sheep that become soldiers. You know what they call that company? Bad company. Why? 
However, the last... <laughs> the last part of this, while it talks about the humility of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus, also talks about the example of Jesus. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have also always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both the will and to do for his good pleasure. He's setting the example before us so that we can now walk the same way. You say, well, does he mean that we're going to go to a cross? He does say, pick up your cross and follow me. If you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, sometimes you think maybe the cross is kind of getting off lucky with what some of those people endured. All under the banner of carrying on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have it easy. We've had people pick at our house. We've had people throw stuff, call the news on us. You know, we weren't comfortable with that it was very hard and very tough we've had people call us names because of what we are and because we are christian you have probably had the same thing you've probably had people turn their back on you but last time i checked nobody in here has been um burned alive or had the skin ripped off while you're still alive or was thrown to lions while a crowd watched because you were entertainment None of us have been put in a Brahma bull, which is one of the reasons why I don't like that bull that's in New York. They put people in a bull, burned them alive slowly so that they would cook, and the horns took your screens and lowered the pitch so it sounded like you were mooing. This is what Christians went through in order to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We have it easy. That's not always going to be the case. But when we lead by example, he's asking us in our life to walk as he walked, to go through the things as he did, but to rely on the grace just like he did. Number one, Hebrews 4.15 uh, 4, says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Again, relatable. He knows what you're going through. He was tempted on all points, but did not succumb to it. But he understands the temptations that come at each and every one of us. We think we're alone, but no sin is taking you except such as common to man. So we think that our issues are our issues and we're by ourselves in our issues. And I guarantee you that if we talked about our issues, you'd find other people share the same issues. But we also share a savior who understands what you're going through. He doesn't excuse lapses, but he understands what you're going through. And so when we go to our Lord and say, look, we can go with the confidence and assurance to say, I'm not talking to somebody who thinks that this is just my issue. He understands my issue. And what does he turn around and say? For us to rely upon his grace and to look at the process he's already done. He has made us new creatures in Christ. Not only that, but he has taken our sins as his, paid the penalty for it, and did away with it. Not just the ones that you committed before you got saved. Otherwise, he would have to keep being crucified. He did away with sin once and for all. Now, I know that that's dangerous preaching because some people would think, well, you're telling people that they could just continue to sin. God forbid. Matter of fact, if you think about sinning, why don't you think 
as you go into sin, and often when you go into repentance, to look at that cross and say, Lord, you did this for me and I still choose to do this. It should start troubling you and putting something on your mind and in your heart to say, you know what, Lord, I don't want to keep going down this road and make your death in vain. But not only did he take our sin, he gave us his righteousness, something that we could not attain. That's the best gift that we could get besides eternal life is the fact that we can stand before God righteous, not in our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. Then he gave us this pattern to follow in Corinthians, it uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about the fact that we are being transformed into the same image. The same image that we're looking into, we're being transformed into, and that's Jesus Christ. From glory to glory, which means there is an apparentness of God, and then you go through something, and you end up with more apparentness of God, and then you go through something, and the going through something isn't always easy. Peter, when they ended up uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, and they were telling them, stop preaching in Jesus' name, they were like, look, these are uneducated fishermen. They, they don't speak like we do. They speak that Galilean dialect. These are uneducated men, but they discern that they had been with Jesus. Can you imagine that with all of our lack of background and all of these things going on, that somebody goes, you know, I know who you used to be, but now I can tell you've been with Jesus. All of a sudden, you start to see more of his manifestation in your life and not your past and your issues. Baptism is a great part of that. Not just the initial baptism, but thinking about that as you go through life. When you get baptized, you go down in his name. You are under the water that is death and burial. And you come up as a resurrected individual. When God is working on us in our life, there are things that we die to. There are things that we go down in burial and wait until he brings us up. And that is a form of grace. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was at his ultimate humility was when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At this point, the only way he would have ever gotten out of that grave is by the power of his Father. And then he gets us to the point where, okay, you done with that robe? I'm going to put you in the grave to that. And now there is none of your effort there is none of your ability, none of your intelligence, none of your savvy, and none of your good looks, good looks, or good lucks, that is going to get you out of that situation. The only thing that's going to help you is his grace. And at that point, you're ready to receive his grace without trying to compete with his grace. Lord, you got this part, but I'll get this part. No, let him work out in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. You say, well, what does all, ha all this have to do with Christmas? The same Christ who was dependent upon others in his formative years, who went through whatever he went through, including going to the cross and was exalted, is saying, don't just look at the beginning. Don't just look at the start. Don't just look at the manger and baby Jesus and just stay there. Don't just look at the cross and stay there. Don't even just look at the empty tomb. And stay there. Because when they addressed Jesus, they said who was and is and is to come. In other words, they looked at the totality of who he is. Not just parts and pieces of who he is. 
And in this Christmas moment, he's saying you can see the start of it, but I want you to see this whole entire process to the end of it, which includes you and I. Christmas isn't just about Jesus. It is ultimately about Jesus and his birth, primarily about Jesus and his birth. But the reason why he was born was not so he could sightsee. If that was the case, we were horrible tour guides. Jesus was born so that he could not only remove the burden of sin from each and every one of us, but could also now become the firstborn among many brethren and sisters. Christmas isn't just about Jesus, it's about Jesus and us. And how he came to give himself as a gift for each and every one of us. So that we don't have to remain who we were. But now he has opened the door so we can grow into who it is that he has called us to be. Lastly, he gave us grace to follow him. That's not something we have to beg for. That's something that he gives us. He has put his Holy Spirit on the inside of each and every one of us so that by his power we can walk. And if you think that the Holy Spirit's power on the inside of us is something to sneeze at, the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. So if it can get Jesus out the grave, then maybe we should start recognizing that it's able to get us out of whatever it is that we got ourselves into, but we're still breathing. I'll close with this, because I know we need to move on. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Don't just listen to this as sheep but listen to this as saints and soldiers. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. When Jesus came out of that tomb, there was a revelation of who he really was. There will be a moment when we will begin to see what it is that God is doing on the inside of us as well. Don't discount yourself because you see where you're at and you think, well, you know, yeah, we're celebrating Jesus, but I'm still the same old me. The glory will be revealed means that the glory is already there. The problem is the glory is concealed. If God were to show you what work he has already done on the inside of you, you would be amazed. But oftentimes when we think that we've already got it and we look at the great, we sometimes relax upon our problem areas. But just know that just like Jesus says, you know, I'm going to walk among you and I know who I am, but it hasn't been yet time for me to be glorified. When he was, it was undeniable, but it wasn't that he just attained that glory in that moment. He was God in the flesh from the moment that he was born, at, further back from the moment that he was conceived, further back from the time when the sun, moon, and stars existed, further back when he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs>
This wasn't a haphazard plan. This was made planned before Adam even decided to go in an opposite direction. But when he was revealed in glory for the rest of the world to see, that was something that was undeniable what God was doing. You have come up through many things. That's part of the reason why we face such dire depression when it comes to this season. So much hardship. So much sadness. It's because of what we went through or who we're not around or who we're missing. I caution you that while those feelings and those issues are legitimate, don't ignore the fact that there's a work that God is doing on the inside of you that you may not even see yet. There's a work that God is doing and every situation that you've survived, every trial that you have been through, everything that you have gone through that the devil meant for evil and God meant it for good is building that character of glory as you surrender it to God and as he starts to transform you and develop you. And even though you don't see it yet, when it's revealed, it will be undeniable. Can I say one more thing before we go to the next part? When Jesus comes to destroy the Antichrist, he comes with the brightness of his coming. Tonight we're going to do something that will remind you of that as Eric and Brian start passing out the candles. There is a light on the inside of you that sometimes we don't even recognize in real life. But when Jesus comes in the brightness of his coming, there's really only two ways that you get a light to shine brighter. Number one, you increase the power to it. Number two, you increase the number of lights. We just read in Revelation where he comes back with an army. The brightness of his coming is number one, Jesus is bright enough all on his own. But imagine all of the lights that come with him from saints who have survived, who have thrived, who have grown to become the men and women of God in this world and the soldiers that he is calling in the world to come. The ones that the adversary will have to look at and say, I couldn't get them. I couldn't get that one. I couldn't get that one. I tried hard, but I couldn't get that one. I fought from the moment that that one was born and I couldn't get that one. And if you think Jesus didn't go through that, may I remind you that when Herod found out who he was, he had all of the male children under the age of two killed just to try and eliminate this threat. How many people around us have fallen in drugs and gangs and prison and so many other different things because the adversary was trying to take us out. And yet we get to stand with the one who saved us and delivered us as a bright light and a testimony to show the adversary and the antichrist and the false prophet and the rest of the celestial as well as terrestrial hosts that are watching that this is what Christ came for to redeem man to shine his light into them so that they can stand as the creation he called them to be. So tonight, as we close, we're going to sing and we're going to light these candles. Except Art has to bring his lighter because they wouldn't let me bring mine. Where is your lighter? 
<laughs> You're fired. <laughs> and as we sing, we're, we often light a light to think about Jesus' entrance into the darkness of this world. But tonight, it's not just the light of Jesus that entered into the darkness of this world. It's the light of Jesus replicated in all of his saints that are coming out of the darkness of this world and now shining as lights in the midst of the darkness of this world in order to proclaim the life and the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand.
and in standing as representatives of the one who gave us life, that life to begin with, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is a wonderful picture. And oftentimes having a visual reminder is far better than just talking about it. But each and every one of us shine as lights in this world. Yes, we're on candles that can be messy. Sometimes we have to have things around us to take care of our mess as we burn. But ultimately, more often than not, we spend time looking at what's going down and has been consumed instead of looking at what's going up as a sweet smell and incense to our Father. So your life may be messy as you burn, but God is burning away the mess to let the light shine uninhibited. Let's all pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we look at your, your miraculous intrusion into the world of darkness and sin to set things right and to proclaim your lordship over it, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We can only marvel at just how wondrous your love is for us, how mighty is your work towards each and every one of us, and we give you thanks and glory for all that you do. And Father, as we hold these candles and will eventually extinguish what's in our hand, we pray that you remind us of the light that's in our life and in our heart. That fire set by your Holy Spirit as we surrender to your Son, Jesus Christ. And let us constantly think of this flame as we go out, not only to let it be extinguished, but to let it burn brightly and to be able to shine in darkness and share this light with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a free hand, would you lift your hand for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.